This is the Singer's Tension Podcast, the podcast by singers, about singing, for singers. Hey singers, welcome to the Singers Tension Podcast. This is Jordan Erickson, and today I'm talking with Jessica Koswitcher about starting your own voice studio or even just the transition into being a teacher and what that means, how you can make that work for you to help you have an income if you're still wanting to perform or if you want to make this your full-time gig. Jessica is the founder of Coswitcher Vocal and Performing Arts in Winnipeg, Manitoba, which currently employs three teachers for voice, piano, and guitar, and has reached a total of almost 70 students after only two years. And Jessica is an accomplished singer in her own right, obviously, since she created this studio based on her singing ability, uh, having gone onto the regionals for the Metropolitan Opera Competition twice, performing lead roles with Opera Nuova, a finalist for the McClellan Vocal Competition, and now an upcoming performance with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. So welcome to the podcast, Jessica. Hey, Oh yeah, and it's my pleasure. I really wanted to have you in particular to talk about this topic because both of us have created a voice studio in a very different path. And I think a lot of singers, especially now with the pandemic, are asking questions of like, how do I do that? I need tips on getting students and getting them quickly and the balance between being a performer and having students and the different facets that that can take up in your life in terms of time. Like, do you want to get really serious about having social media and a brand or do you want to just have some casual students? So I think it's going to be really helpful to see both of our perspectives. <laughs> so why don't you start by giving a little bit of insight as to why you decided to create a studio versus just teaching casually? Because before you branded the studio, you did have some students. So why did you make that change? Yeah, um, I, I mean, when I started teaching, I think we all, I mean, I started when I was taking vocal ped and then I had seven students and then I had 17 and then I had 21 and then I had 27 and like oh 27 that felt like I was a success <laughs> and then uh and then I got asked to sing a role at Nuova and I was like oh I could maybe be a singer and a teacher and that was really exciting to me I started doing the audition route which was really I mean I learned a lot doing that and it was really fun for a period of time I got I had successful auditions I think you get to a point as a singer, where even on kind of your worst day, you're not gonna really sing poorly. Like, you just might not be what they're looking for. And so I would have successful auditions and I'd get really positive feedback. And then I got my third rejection from a company that I was very interested in. And I was just like, listen, folks, I can't, I, 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 ha I consider myself reasonably thick skinned and I can really like process things in a positive, like reframe them in a positive way. But I just was really sick of having other people make the decisions about my life. And so I just said to my mom, like, listen, I'm just going to make a school where everybody gets in. That's, I mean, I just want everybody to have an opportunity to sing and I don't want it to be 
I don't want them to feel like they can't do it uh, because they don't like your dress or something like that. Just so like, ah, like it was so frustrating. Um, And I still did want to pursue performance, uh, but it was getting to the point during those like three years of auditioning. And I was teaching at the same time where I was basically teaching to fund my audition trips. Like, as you know, those trips are so expensive. I was living at home. Like I was spending like very little money on rent, I was spending a lot of my income on flights and audition fees and, you know, food on the road. Like it was so frustrating. So I just decided, yeah, I want control of my own life. I think it's really nice to hear that you didn't just go into teaching because you needed an income, you know, and a lot of singers, especially in the classical world, get pushed into that route where they're working some type of job that they really don't like, and it's not related to singing. So then they decide, okay, I'll just start teaching, which is fine. Uh, And that's okay. If you want casual students and you explain to them, like I am a performer and so things might not be regular, whatever, there's a way to make that work. But I think no matter what, whether you have casual students or you go into creating a voice studio or a music studio, you need to be passionate about teaching. Totally. I do agree. And I, I feel, I felt really strongly about creating a safe space for students and just an inclusive environment. That was, I mean, we teach, I mean, I wanted to be able to use my degree. I did not spend all that money on my education to not use it. I felt like that. And so, so many artists have to do that. Like they don't even get to use what they put so much time and money into. Um, And I, I really wanted to do that for myself, but I also wanted to do it for other teachers and other artists because I, I still, I mean, I love performing and I want to be able to do, even if it's just small things, but it was getting to a point with that audition circuit that I was like, I'm really just like starting to resent the fact that I even am doing this. And that was quite terrifying for me as a singer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that feeling of wanting to be in control of your future. Um, And I've said this to you before, I'm very open about it, that I came to realize that I had an idea of what was going to make me happy as a performer. And I was so convinced that it had to be a hundred percent performing. There was no room for anything else because anything else was a huge failure, especially after winning so many scholarships and, and awards, you feel an obligation to those people to, to show them that you were worth those, those scholarships. So subconsciously you start to develop this thought that if I do anything else, I have let people down and you forget that, um, this is my life. And so maybe I should get in touch with what actually makes me happy. And so it was my 25th birthday, I think. And I always go to this cabin that is in my family and I was out there by myself and I was sitting on the dock and I found this book, um, in one of the little tree fort book places on my way home from the gym. That was about a certain type of psychology where you dissect your dreams, which sounds so hippy dippy, but I was really into it. I was like, I, cause I kept having this, this dream and this anxiety. I can't remember what the dream was, but basically this, uh, this book was saying that whatever your dream is, you have to play every role. So I went through this process and I realized that I was not happy with the process of trying to put all of my eggs in one basket and just be a performer. But I also didn't want to teach specifically 
kids for me anyways, that that is not as rewarding to have 40 kids students as it is for me to work with adults. And so I realized that I wanted to create a studio that did have some kids, but mostly focused on adults and professionals and people who really wanted to elevate their artistry. And we'll get into the branding again a bit later, but I have a huge passion for making people able to sing without pain because I had such a difficult journey with singing where by the time I was done my undergrad I couldn't sing for more than 15 minutes without extreme pain through my throat and my jaw and then thanks to some amazing teachers after my undergrad I really undid that and then Alexander Technique has been like a whole nother world to take it to the next level but it was such a journey and I remember so 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 much frustration and so that's where my passion comes from so I, I think you can find different reasons to be a teacher, but there has to be a reason beyond, I just want to use my degree and make money. Totally. I totally agree. Well, a question we're going to kind of answer extensively throughout this episode is what is the difference between having just a home studio as a casual teacher versus an art school or a vocal school? And there's so much of the difference in terms of capacity, workload, uh, your media, what the image you are going to create. And so I would qu classify your school now as more of an art school because you do have piano and guitar. And then mine is mostly a vocal school. We do include piano, but I'm the only teacher who teaches piano. Uh, and oh, that's not true. Also, Mike does. He's a great pianist. But the other two are just voice. And all of our social media really focuses around voice, voice, voice. So what is it that made you decide, I want to open this to other instruments? Yeah. So originally I was just voice. And then it was getting to the point where I was getting so many inquiries and so much word of mouth that I was like, ah, I just like can't, I'm only one person. Yeah. I had a, t a parent say to me once, I could do teach piano. And while I can play piano reasonably well for students, I would never accompany them in a professional setting. That would be so embarrassing for me. So I was like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need a piano teacher eventually. And then I also was like, I was getting so many voice inquiries that I just, I needed someone, I needed help. But also part of the reason uh, that I was like, hey, I could really do this uh, was because I felt like if I was feeling like I had no control of my life, then surely other <laughs> artists felt the same way. I wanted to be able to offer different things to the community and also like expand uh, students' creative mind. Yeah. How do you think teachers, people who want to be singing teachers that don't have piano, how should they go about that? Is that possible? Because I, I do play the piano, but two of the teachers that work for me do not. And so they always express a little bit of um, imposter syndrome because they're like, well, I can't accompany my students. And all of the teachers that I've had, not all of them could play piano. So uh, what is your take on that? I think everybody has a different skill set. Um, I think, I mean, if you look at Karen and I, Karen Zandos is an amazing soprano who works with my studio. She's also a really good friend of mine. Um, and I'm fortunate to like work super well in tandem. Like we are a great team. She does not play the piano and she's an amazing teacher. 
I think it could be beneficial sometimes to not have the piano because then the, the student maybe has to rely on a, like a new set of skills, like their ear, which is equally as important as, as like listening to a track it is still equally as important to listen to yourself and like figure out how things feel and like, yeah, I'm out of tune and I can hear that and I can feel that versus like, I'm not aligning with what you're playing. As a teacher, this is really difficult to do, but get your ego out of it. Like if a student needs something that you know that you can't provide, like send them to someone that can provide it or offer a suggestion. Like, I think you should work with them a bit, work with me a bit. And like, I had a student who we, we worked together for about a year and a half. And then he specifically got to a point where he was like, I want to work on rock music. And I was like, you know what? I can't really do the scream thing, but Ian can. So I'm going to send you to him. And he still would come back for lessons every now and again to work on technique. But if I had have just been like, oh, well, I don't want to send him to another person, then I'm just doing him a disservice. It's just not about you. I mean, you know, like check your ego at the door, people. Yeah. You don't need to prove yourself. And this is just a side note of that. Not every student is going to give you the feeling of, yes, I'm accomplishing something, right? Like I've had students where the every lesson, there's just a lot of um, push and pull of them needing a lot of explanation. And you can just tell that like the way you're explaining is not clicking with them. It's not giving them what they want. And they're on their own journey. I think with voice in particular, everyone needs to have permission to be on a very unique journey and you may not be the right fit. And the first time that happens, it does sting a little bit because in your heart, your intention is I want to help them, but you have to let them be free. You know, you can't hold on to them. And I had some teachers that like really wanted to hold on to me. And I was just like, I'm, I'm stuck with you. Like that doesn't devalue the things that you have given me, but I'm stuck right now. So I need to look for something else. And then I still go back to those teachers myself, but I was stuck. I think that's important. I think that's a good lesson just in general in life. I mean, you're not going to, you can't expect to get everything you need out of life from one avenue. Yeah. But if you as a teacher do feel like you want to be able to lead someone through a warm up, it's not so difficult to just learn how to do cording on the piano. That would be my suggestion. Don't feel like you need to be able to play their repertoire, but just being able to give chords to take them through a warm up is a great skill. And as a student, if you are looking for a teacher that plays piano, I just wouldn't prioritize it because uh, an option that your teacher should and may suggest is that you work with them on the technique of the song, and then they bring in a piano player for a lesson that you as a student would have to pay for to practice actually pairing with the, the music, or you can pay a small amount of money to have someone just record them playing the accompaniment so that you have a practice track to sing to in the lesson. So there are ways around that. Oh, a hundred percent. That's a great point. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I think, I mean, according, it could even go as basic as like, I know a scale and we will go up it one note at a time, you know, like you can just play the note. There are times where I'm like playing the note. I'm not even doing the chords 
So yeah, especially with beginner singers, the warm up is usually very basic. They can't hear like beyond the one pitch. Yes, exactly. So now let's shift to the thing we've been alluding to, which is the branding. So you know that you want to teach in some capacity because you have a motivation beyond money and you've decided if you want to just be a casual home studio or if you want to be more of a, a school. So if you're just a home studio, I'll just briefly say that you can still promote yourself as a teacher on um, social media. I just would focus more on personal uh, like photos of you as a singer and as a performer, like focus on what you are doing as a performer. Whereas if you want to be a studio, we need to get into branding. So tell us about how you went about that, Jessica. And then mine's very different. So we'll share. <laughs> I was like trying to design my own logo. What a horrific mistake. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to like design a logo with absolutely no knowledge of like graphic design. And so I was nannying at the time for um, a wonderful family. And she um, is the like director of a business here called 26 projects. And I asked her, I was like, okay, I think, I mean, I think she does marketing. I don't like, I just, I'm with her children. So I think she, and I'm like, I know she's a photographer and, um, but I know she does, I don't, they do this. And I was like, Hey, this is maybe a weird question. Do you guys design logos? <laughs> And she was like, that's not a weird question. And yes, we do. But it wouldn't be like, we just design your logo. It would be if you're needing a logo, you're needing like a full on kind of like, like a brand guideline, basically. And I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever that means. Like, I'm in. Like, I don't know. And so then her and I, I went to, down to their studio and I had a meeting with them and I was like, wow, this is going to be so cool. And then I was like, mom, it's going to be X amount of dollars. And it was like, I mean, I was expecting it to be a lot because I, I had no expectation. And I also was like, it's not going to be a hundred dollars. Okay. People, if you're looking to brand your brand, your business, um, that's a lot of hours that, that, that company is going to be putting in. It's so much it's like so many brains on one project. And then they're designing things like the J in my logo is like a hand designed, like concept. It's, I mean, kind of iconic how they came up with it. So they figured out my name for me because we, and like, that was like, several emails back and forth, but we looked at musical terms. We looked at like different names. We looked at, there were so many emails and I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Like nothing is driving. So I got my, my, I got my logo. There's like, they came up with custom colors for my brand. They came up, they were like, we picked fonts based on the following things. So fonts, I got a letterhead. I had um, business cards, little flyers made that I still have because I printed a million and I have three different designs. And then I got a photo shoot. They did my website and they also did, I think, five or 10 Instagram posts, like the very start of my, of that feed, they, they figured that out. And so now I, but any, anytime I had a campaign or something like, um, later that year, I ended up like winning a, th uh, a contest that they did. 
and I was able to get another photo shoot and then a campaign with that. So that then when I was advertising for a summer camp, pre-pandemic, <laughs> um, uh, I had those photos as well. So yeah. And that, if you don't mind sharing, I think it is important for people to kind of know what, what you got exactly in your package and what it did cost you. Um, it was about $10,000. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned to me once that you had this money kind of saved up beforehand. I had this money kind of like in my in my bank account, in a savings account for something. At one point I was like, it's going to be for a house. And then I ended up speaking to my mom and she was like, listen, I think that's going to be the best money you've ever spent. And I did. It was the best money I have ever spent because it makes makes running a cohesive business way easier you're like this is the font that i write all my emails in this is the font for the post this is the color for the background of all the things this is it people so it makes it really easy and then if i ever wanted to rebrand it's like you have something to kind of go off of and i think that that makes a lot of sense for for you and how you were feeling because it is overwhelming all the things that you need and if you don't know how to do any of it then you have to learn and the nice thing about if you decide to make that that monetary investment at the beginning yes it's a little bit scary but you as you said you have the whole package so you are ready to go you have everything done so you can just set up your schedule for social media and whatever it's done. You don't need to, to worry about it. So that's the way that you went about it. And my route was very, very different. So I did not invest $10,000 in it. Um, but it was kind of more organic the way it happened just because of the job that I had when I first moved to Montreal. So I had an awful job in terms of like the thing no one ever wants to do. I was cold calling for a website company. I hated it so much, Jessica. Like I've never had so much anxiety. My family was like teasing me about being the person that nobody wants to have a call about. Yeah. So I did this for like maybe three months before my soul fell out of my body. And then I, I said to them, I was quitting and they, they really liked me. So they moved me over to the account management side, which was brilliant. You know, everything happens for a reason because I learned all about Google, my business page, Google AdWords, how to get on Google. Um, I also was friends with the person who was designing the website. And so he would like offhand throw out little comments about what he's working on this website and thinks this is ridiculous that the person wants him to do this for this reason, blah, blah, blah. So I got like little snippets of knowledge. So when I decided to do the studio, I made the website myself. This took hours. And I also had to consider who am I branding to. So mine was to adults. So I didn't use bright colors and things like that. I mean, if you go on Express Voice Studio, it's darker colors. It's more like graffiti inspired. And for the logo, I created that. I came up with the the name for it, which I was really happy with. And then my boyfriend at the time was a graphic designer. So I asked him to do some like graffiti kind of design because he also was a graffiti artist. So kind of worked out. I kind of cheated. <laughs> so, so he did up the JPEG image that is now the logo and we did three different versions and I'm really happy with it. 
And then I also knew how to do Google AdWords. So I created a GMB, I got on Google. And now if you search um, any keyword in English in Montreal, it's on the first page, at least once, sometimes twice. French keywords are still working on when you're not bilingual. It's like you kind of pick away at it as you can. Um, and I also taught myself how to do Adobe Illustrator, Adobe Audition, Adobe Premiere Pro. Like I spent the time to learn how to do everything. And it's still such a, a huge growing process. Like now with the, with the podcast and with the YouTube videos, there's so much to learn. So you do just have to kind of dive in and know that this is going to be a long-term project and just try to make every single little thing better than the one before. The only thing I did spend money on was after I had came up with the website and everything, I wanted um, Instagram templates that fit with that. And so I hired someone, it cost me about $400 for, I think it was five templates. And we went back and forth as well. The original thing he sent me was like very soft and was totally not like the artistic in your face kind of thing I wanted. So I, I had to like buck up and basically be like, I don't like that at all. I'm sorry that you spent time on it. Right. And you feel really bad. But so scary. You feel really bad. You're like, they spent time on this. You feel bad. But at the same time, like you're paying them. Yes. And then if you're not a graphic designer, it's not like you can draw something and be like, kind of like this, but better. So I just sent him a ton of pop art images that I really liked. And I said, I want to go in this direction. And then by the time he sent the next stuff, it was totally different. And then I was like, can we just have some different colors? And so within a week of him working on it, it was done. And so now, because I know how to use Illustrator, I can go in and change the colors or the format as much as I want. And then anytime I have a campaign or like I want to advertise for Valentine's Day gift cards or Christmas, then I'll create those based on those templates, but sometimes completely different than like using free, free software like Canva or stock images. And then Illustrator, obviously you have to pay for, but it's, it's not that much. It's like 30 USD a month for the whole suite of Adobe. Uh, so it, it cost me a lot less, but it, it took a lot longer and you have to learn how to do everything. So it, just two different options, depending on what you feel you want to do. <laughs> depending on like what you already know, what you feel like you want to put the time into, like, I mean, there was, I was like, I don't have the time to do this. Not to suggest you have buckets of time either, but I think it also depends on like how many students you already have, how, what, right. what other jobs you're already doing. Cause as artists, when we're starting out, like you probably don't just have one job. Plus you're trying to also practice. Plus you're also trying to do all the other things that you need to do, like shave your legs, you know? Brilliant segue. Yeah. I think it's important to put a voice to this. I had six jobs at one point when I decided to make the studio happen. I was cantering at two different churches. I had a nine to five job at a startup that it was, it was called career up. It was, it was a good job, but it was a nine to five. Um, then I was also editing uh, university papers for an online company. And then I was teaching some students and I was doing something else. You know, I can't even remember all the jobs, but I remember counting and I had six jobs and literally no time, absolutely none. And I was doing auditions as well during this period. So I, I made a huge sacrifice in terms of wanting to perform. And I said, 
I don't have the time to, to even sing right now. And I will never, if I have a nine to five. So I need to make the sacrifice of maybe a couple years of my life building the studio so that on the back end, I do have more freedom of time. And so now I look and and I'm not where I thought I would be in terms of uh, all the auditions that I would want to do, but I do have a studio that is my full-time job. I don't have six jobs anymore. And I have the freedom I wanted. So there was a sacrifice there. And I think people need to know that. I think we're, I think we're both lucky. We can go to work and not really like, it doesn't really ever feel like, oh God, I got a good work, you know, like, and that is, I mean, that is something that I wanted for my life. And because as a teacher, I didn't ever want students to feel like my teacher doesn't even like doing what they do, which is why I brought on a team of teachers that are all different but are all equally as passionate about what they are doing. And they are passionate about performance and they're passionate about being creative. And that's what I wanted. I wanted kids to see passion. Um, but yeah, I, there was a time where I was like working at an orange theory, doing auditions. And I was really, I was nannying for Pauline and Dave. <laughs> like I was, I had, and then I was teaching and I had at that point, like 34 students. So it's not like I was, um, you know, like it was crazed. It was insane. Um, I don't think I ever had six jobs. That's excessive. I don't even know how you're <laughs> girl. I don't know. I question things in my life. <laughs> so you mentioned that a lot of your students come from word of mouth and are you doing any kind of advertising outside of that? Or it's just people that find you from the website. How are you getting students? Um, so I started off getting students from word of mouth and now I'm on all the, you know, Facebook groups for like the area that you live in. And, um, I do still get a lot of word of mouth. I'm very, very fortunate that, uh, we have a really good rapport with most every family we've ever dealt with. When I first started, I was taking an adult dance class at a really amazing studio here in the city. And I was like, could I want a, like an ad or like a poster, which I didn't even have. I was like, it was like a piece of loose leaf or something. <laughs> like it was really bad. But it was when I was like very green to the teaching life. And then I said, can you please tell people about me when they're registering? And she was like, yes. So, so many of my students came from that. And yeah, so that's another part of the package that I got. They've set up Google um, G Suite. Or, yeah, like G Suite or something. I'm like, I don't even know what this does, but apparently I need it. <laughs> I'm like, sure. They were like, can we set this up for you? And I was like, sure. I don't know. You do, you do whatever you think I need. I'm just do it. So I had that. And then they said that they like, connected it to the website. And so now I get inquiries through my website and I, and, um, I'll, I'll like sometimes put out on the Facebook groups that I'm a part of like, Hey, we're, you know, don't forget we, we do this and stuff yeah. like that. So word of mouth is fantastic. And I think when you are dealing with kids, teenagers for your students, word of mouth is your bread and butter because parents talk. So yes, word of mouth, the, the kids, students that I do have, 
I basically had one at the beginning and all of these other children's students are word of mouth, except for like one person. So they all know each other. They all go to the same school. Now, when you're dealing with adults, it's different because lots of times people come in for lessons because they want to be better at karaoke or they're already an artist. Like I've had a couple rappers and a pop artist that they, they were not referred to me. They found me and they're not really referring me to other people unless it specifically comes up in a conversation, right? It's just different because it's more private. It's more personal. You're not like, oh yeah, you should put Stacy and Mike also in singing lessons, right? It, it's different. So I would say 90% of my new business comes from the the work that I've done to be on the first page of Google. And so that G suite that you were talking about that your Google, my business page is the thing that comes up on, on the side there. If you search like pizza near me and Bob's pizza comes up and you can see Bob's pizza and the hours it's open, blah, blah, blah. This is called your Google, my business page. And if someone ever calls you saying they'll set it up free for $400, it's a scam. Hang up the phone. First of all, it's like, cause you set it up for free. Right. Exactly. I, I still get them. They're like, you don't have one. I was like, yes, I do. I set it up. Thank you. <laughs> so you do need it to show up on Google maps. It's really important. And I could, uh, maybe I'll do a whole podcast episode on all of the, the ways you can help to get your business on the first page of, of Google. But that is really how I get my students. I tried Kijiji. I put some money into it. I would say it's not worth it personally. Um, Google AdWords, you pay per click for someone clicking on your ad to come to your website and you set a monthly limit. So I do think that it is worth it. It also reinforces to Google that you are a valid business. So it is more likely to help you get onto the first page of Google if you're doing a lot of other things in tandem, but it can help. And I would say that social media, surprisingly and not surprisingly, I get messages through Instagram and through Facebook uh, all the time being like, oh, can you tell me about lessons, blah, blah, blah. And then on Facebook, also to join those groups in your area, like I'm part of musicians in Toronto group and musicians in Montreal group. And anytime we have a post on Facebook, I share it in those groups within reason. If it's just like a little fluffy post, I'm not going to, but if it's a new podcast episode or something valuable to artists in the area, you post it. So yeah, very, very different ways. I don't think you need to spend hundreds of dollars on your advertising. I, when I first started, I had a budget of $60 a month for Google AdWords. And now that budget is a hundred. Um, but it's, I don't think it's essential. I think I do need to do another podcast episode on all of the things to do to help rank on Google because <laughs> I, I did it myself. And I get phone calls from people that I went to music school with that I haven't spoken to in like years being like, Hey, I saw what you're doing. And can you give me some, some advice? And, and so we'll sit down and we'll do an hour or two session on all of the things that I think that they need to do and put time into. So if you are listening to this and you want some advice, please reach out and contact me. That is a service that I offer. Um, but there's a lot to know, but don't be overwhelmed by it, please. Because it is attainable. <laughs> It is attainable. So segueing from that now into you have a studio and things are going well, maybe you hit that 20 student mark and you're still getting inquiries. Now you have to make the choice. Do I just have a waiting list because I just want to be me, myself and I, or do I want to hire other teachers? And when I decided to hire other teachers, it was primarily because 
I worked for three different music studios in my life and all of them took like a 40 to 50% cut. And I couldn't understand why they were taking that much. And the most recent studio I worked for in Montreal, they were like, they, people won't pay that much for you as a teacher. And that's not true. First of all, <laughs> it's not true. If the value is there, you set what you deserve. And I wanted to give teachers the opportunity to choose their rate and also not have a 50% cut. So all of the teachers that work for me, they pay out very, very little. And that just goes right back into the advertising for the studio. So I don't make a massive profit off of, off of it, but it does pay for the advertising. So why did you go about hiring more teachers? Did you find that you just had that influx and you have a, a differentiation between employees and contractors that maybe you could talk about? Yeah. Um, okay. So I decided to get, I, I decided to hire or seek out other teachers because I was getting inquiries that I was, I was like, well, I could, I could teach all these students, but I would be teaching until 9 30 PM every night. And I would also be teaching an eight hour day on Saturday. And I was not I, like, where is your life? Where is your time to work out or just like watch friends? Like, hello, um, you know, or just, you know, have a conversation with your mom on the phone. I, there's just, there was no time. Um, and it happened that I had a friend who I had talked uh, with. This was before Karen came on board. I did have a, another um, colleague named Chelsea. She was working with me for a period of time, but then she ended up having to move. So, and right when she was having to move, Karen was like, I'm moving to Winnipeg. And I was like, oh, like, this is amazing. Um, so yeah, I did. And then Renata and I, Renata's the music director at the church that I operate the studio out of. And then we just kind of like, were passing in the hallway this one day. And she was like, hey, like, maybe we should talk. And this was something that I had been thinking about because I was getting inquiries, but it wasn't like, you know, I didn't want to go be like, Hey, I have one student for you. <laughs> you know, like I wanted to know that I was going to have like at least three students so that it would feel like, okay, I'm coming to, I'm not coming for like a half hour lesson. That would be just not fair. Um, and you know, it would just feel like not worth it, I think for a teacher. So I wanted to make sure I had enough inquiries for piano. Um, so I decided like, yes, I should do that. But I also, it wasn't big enough to be like, okay, we can be employees and I can offer benefits and like all these things. I would love to offer benefits to my contractors at some point. I think that that is, I mean, that's like the dream. Like, give opportunity to colleagues that I had and also develop a team of people in the community that like the community trusts for all these services. Um, and, but I felt like it was important, um, to protect them and myself to identify them as contractors, not employees. Um, so I went to a lawyer and I was like, help me figure out their contract. And now that I have a document that I can just like change the date, change the name, and I can re I can rewrite some things if I want, but it's, I mean, it's a hefty, like, I don't, I, I know what it says, but like it's all legal jargon and it's <laughs> crazy. Um, but I went to a lawyer because I felt like that was important just to have everybody be protected, not not just me, like them as well. So if I'm doing something that they maybe feel like that's not fair um, and this is not, this is not what my contract says, you know? 
Yeah. And I think that's especially important for you because you are renting a com- like a commercial space. It's a church, but it's a space for your studio and you're having people come in and out. And I, I think that it was critical for you to do that. And this is something that you and I also do very differently is that I do not have a commercial space that I rent out. So my studio is in my apartment and and it is its own space. It's very professional looking. And all of the other teachers, the requirement is that they have a space that looks quite professional to teach out of. And so I don't need to take a cut from them to compensate for a space for them to teach out of. Uh, And I also don't handle all of the crazy invoicing admin that you do. So that once I have a student come in and, and they talk to me about, these are my goals, this is what I want. And then I have a conversation with them to direct them to the teacher that I think suits them best. Then that teacher, it becomes their responsibility. They can invoice them the way that they want to they that's all between them and then at the end of the month they just pay me out depending on how many lessons they taught from students from me that month so I probably take a much smaller cut than you do but also my workload is much much more minimum however I'm extremely busy with the podcast and creating online content and advertising the business. So that just becomes a a situation of how much work do you want to put into different areas? And I think when you have a commercial space that you're in, your priorities are different and, and you do need to take a bigger cut. Obviously they're teaching out of your space that you're paying for. That's a massive cost, massive. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's definitely not, um, it's definitely not small and I'm, it, it's, I'm lucky that it's in a church because obviously it's less because it's in a church, but I also did that because I was like, I need this community space. I need it to be a big space. I need it to be a place where people are uh, comfortable to just like let their kids walk into it. Um, you know, not like somewhere downtown Winnipeg, like here, go into this building. Like that would be. I think scary for a lot of like little, Hey, I'm here for my lesson to sing frozen. And they're like on the streets of downtown Winnipeg. Like I just, you know, I want it to be like, I feel like a safe community building. And um, it just so happened that um, when I was selling a house about five years ago, that church, I called that church. I was like, listen, I just got bought a grand piano and I need a space. So like, what do you got? <laughs> you need to understand that If you're teaching on a keyboard in a grungy little space in your tiny, tiny apartment, I understand that you're an artist on a budget, but you, your image is important. And if you, okay, if you're doing the casual thing, like I am an artist and I will take these students because they know about my work as an artist, that's fine. Cause they're going to come and be like, oh yeah, this person really is living the artist life. And I know that they're a great artist, but if you are a studio, you need to have a good professional looking space to teach out of and be prepared to spend that money. Like my piano, my first piano I bought was 1500. And then the next year I upgraded it to a $3,000 piano. And it it makes so much of a difference in terms of just like enjoyment of sound and people like to sing next to nice instruments. I also spend more on rent for a bigger apartment than other people would. 
And if you're looking for an apartment, you tell the landlord that you are a music teacher. Like the landlord I currently have, he asked like, have people ever complained, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, because I also spend money to soundproof the apartment. I put down a carpet. I put soundproofing behind the large pictures that are in the room. Um, I fill all the closets with books. You know, you do as much as you can. And then you also inform your neighbors that I am teaching. And do you have a crazy weird schedule? Are you a nurse? And I need to know about that. So have some respect for, for sound, but you need a nice looking space. It makes such a difference. It does make such a difference. Like, I mean, this is obviously when we're all teaching in our apartments, it's very different, but like part of the reason I care a lot about what, I mean, I care about what my apartment looks like because I'm me, (laughs) but like, I, I wanted to, as soon as I moved, I was like, gotta get the space ready because I've got students on Monday and they like they all knew that I was moving but it was like uh, the backdrop if I'm like ever moving my computer around I don't want them to see like craziness everywhere I wanted them to be like these are my white couches my rug is bold I've got twinkly lights around you know because it makes people feel um invite like welcomed into the space and even if it's in an online setting they need to feel safe um so like in my studio i have diffusers i have twinkly lights i have art that karen has done for me like i've commissioned work from karen to paint for my studio <laughs> like because i'm like oh and then people are like that's a cool painting and i'm like karen next door did it you know like it's very um yeah i just think that it's so important and like like you say your images your images is it's important. Like, I think we're all just struggling pandemic wise. I'm like my hair, (laughs) like next weekend, I have all the, all the things booked because everything's starting to open, um, open here. And I'm like, listen, we're getting the hair, we're getting the nails, we're getting the lashes. We're doing it all. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. If you decide I want to do this teaching thing, I want to make a studio or I want to just teach as an individual, you're going to have a bit of imposter syndrome, especially I think if you come from classical music where everything is either perfect or it's wrong. And so you feel like you couldn't possibly have anything to offer until you have an international career and are perfect. (laughs) And that is just something you have to get over. Uh, There's this idea of inserting enough value into the amount that you charge for your lesson. So you do need to understand your worth as a teacher and and what you are giving that is of value to set that price cost. But when those moments of imposter syndrome come, you just take a breath and remind yourself of the things that you have achieved and know that the people coming to you usually as a teacher are beginners and you have so much experience and education behind you that you take for granted And even though you may not have everything figured out with your voice, if you have brought it to a place where you have comfortable, consistent technique, you have something to offer your students. Yeah, that can be a, that can be a challenge. Definitely. When you're working with, um, you know, the kind of the full gamut of students. I mean, we've got students that are like, no, I only want to sing pop. No, I want to sing Disney. No, I want to sing musical theater. No, I want to sing. No, I think I want to sing classical. It's like, okay. Um, and there are definitely students that are like, well suited to every genre. I'm not a belter. (laughs) I have no, I'm like, 
I have the knowledge that I've like watched in a YouTube video and developed over the last five years trying to figure out um, my own belt technique and stuff like that, you know? So I think when you're, and, and at first I was like, yeah, I don't really teach that because I don't know. Like, but then I was like, listen, I got students that need to know about it. And so I need to know about it. Even if that just means like, for me, that feels like this, you know, because I can't be like, based on my readings, like, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. Like I do read and study and like figure it out. But a lot of my a lot of my practice is like quite hands-on for myself. And like I walk around my apartment speaking in weird Sesame Street voices and doing weird things to, to be like, where is that resonating? You know, so that when I go to a student, I'm like, listen, it's kind of like this voice, but with a high self-power. And I'm becoming like, even as a teacher, you have to teach your students to become their own teachers. You know, in their lesson, like this is, Oftentimes, I mean, sometimes it's guided practice and you have to really, part of the lesson, I think, part of what they're learning in the lesson is how to listen and like feel more without guidance because I, we're not always going to be there being like, no, that sounds not good. You need to fix it. You know, like go back, you know, they need to be they need to be their own kind of guide. <laughs> so that's part of what um, being a teacher is. Yeah. And you made this comment last time we spoke, which I thought was so point on of deciding what kind of a teacher you want to be, because I mean, you and I have very different vibes. Like you are energy and bubblegum and like the Powerpuff Girls incarnate. And I am so, I'm so serious. I'm like, this next hour of your life is going to be so mentally fatiguing. Like my students are like so done by the end of the hour, uh, but, but in a great way. And, and then you get these moments where I really do come at it like a guided practice. I'm teaching you how to work on your body and be stubborn and patient with yourself at the same time. And so then I'll get students that are, we're doing an exercise. And so many times I've stopped them and been like, you're not thinking the right thought or, you know, I stopped them so much. And so then they get to a point where they like start to do it. And they're like, no, that's wrong. Wait. And I'm just like, did you just tell yourself to wait? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you're hearing me inside your head. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. So, I mean, it is really, it is really great to watch that journey for a student. I have a student who, um, this year he's just a really, and it's, he's a male student, which makes me feel really, um, excited as a teacher, but he's starting to, he's starting to like come to lessons. He's like, I did the warm up before my lesson. So I'm ready to go. And like last week I didn't do it and I just felt like it wasn't working as well. But now I feel really good because I warmed up before my lesson. I'm like, who are you? Mm -hmm. That's a, a so such great content for another podcast episode I'll have to do on like what a lesson should actually look like if you have a good teacher. And I really feel like it's a conversation of me offering a suggestion and saying, what does that feel like? What do you like about it? Tell me, how do you perceive that? Okay, let's build on like you as the teacher are not God. So don't, don't keep saying things the same way over and over again. Also, you should probably check in with like mentally how your student is processing music and how they relate to it. I'll, I'll just have to make another podcast. Episode. <laughs>
it's it's so I have so many opinions on it because I've had so many bad experiences with teachers as I said after my undergrad those four years of my life that made me really really a bad singer and I had to undo all of it such a journey such a journey but my my point is and I'm, I'm deviating from it is decide what kind of a teacher you want to be also like your personality comes into it and then make sure that's represented in your branding and then also when you feel like an imposter I I don't know just remember we're all learning all the time oh but I did want to say that my opinion on if a student wants to know how to do something and you don't know how to do it I my opinion is that you don't teach it Um, I think if you have great technique and all you sing is opera, then you say, I don't know how to belt, but I can teach you how to sing and use your air and not hurt yourself. But then you as the teacher should go out and figure out, okay, how do you belt? Can I do that? And start belting, start singing that repertoire because you are the product for your business. So if all you know how to do is one thing, then that's what you teach. It's like a guitar player is not going to be like, well, all my students now want to play piano. So I'll just watch YouTube and then teach piano, right? Like, oh yeah, no. I mean, there's definitely, I mean, again, it's taken me like a full decade to learn how to sing pop reasonably well, or like to feel good about singing pop and to belt. And I have not really started fully teaching belt until like last year when I was like, okay, I'm confident that I like I'm not hurting myself while I'm doing this. So I'm confident that I can teach you to be safe also while doing this. And again, Karen and I collaborate often on like technique, how to, how to do what we're doing. This teacher, they're great. Mm, I don't know if I agree, like all these things. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it's so important when you're figuring out what kind of teacher you want to be, um, to be authentic. When you're decide, you got to When you're figuring out the kind of teacher that you are or that you want to be, because who you are and who you want to be are maybe different, and it has to be something that you can maintain, obviously. Which is why I say you need to be authentically you. Yeah, that's a great point. If you decide, okay, well, singing teachers have to be bubbly and effervescent, and that's not you. Okay, well, you can't build a career on like a falsity. <laughs> well, that is an hour and a half of some amazing information, I feel like, but uh, there's so much more we could talk about because obviously this has been like already two, three year journey for us, um, which I'm really grateful that our journeys have been so different because I hope that it can help people. But if you want more guidance, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, please feel free to reach out. I have helped people through it before and I, I love to do it. And I'm sure if anyone wants to pick your brain about what you did in terms of going to find someone to do your branding and the lawyer and everything, like reach out to Jessica. I'll put the deets below. (laughs) I'm always game for a conversation about stuff. I think it's, again, I think it's important to always be learning and always conversing and always, you know, on 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 the journey that you're on. Totally, totally agree. Thanks so much, Jessica. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.